0: You should hopefully, as you came in, have picked up an outline as you came in there which says the healing power of Jesus. And we are looking at Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to verse 34. Now, one of the interesting shows I discovered recently as I was flicking through the DVC iPlayer uh, is the repair shop. I don't know if you've seen the program called The Repair Show, but uh, each show uh, follows craftsmen uh, who restore old things. So if you've got something that is really valuable to you and you want it repaired, you can just take it to them and they can restore it for you. They restore things that have sentimental value to people. Now, we've seen these shows before, haven't we? There's a ton of them that the BBC do, You know, from from, uh, the Antiques Roadshow to Money for Nothing... Uh, but I think what sets apart the BBC repair show is that there is no money involved right it is all done for free and in fact they don't even value the items before they start and they don't even value them after they have restored them it is, money is not it's, not it's been just removed from the whole program it is really about love and generosity uh, to those that own these things and it's very interesting one of the shows that i watched uh, three things were brought for repair uh, a captain's cabinet uh, the 1880s cuckoo clock and the 1973 ceramic fruit bowl you know to keep fruits in uh, it's They they seem to be pointless to me. But they have value to people and they were brought and they were restored. And you can see the tears of the owners as these things are brought back to life. All of them treated with dignity. uh, Because they have sentimental value to those that own these things. And all of it done for free. Now, we are currently on the road with Jesus in the book of man. uh, For those of you that have been with us. Uh, we, we have seen Jesus working his way through uh, this book. Uh, we start in chapter 1, verse 1. And now we're in chapter 5, verse 21. And as I thought about the book of Mark, I thought, how would I summarize it? I thought, actually, the book of Mark is a, is a bit like the BBC re- program, the repair show. Because you see, throughout Mark, what we see is that Jesus is on the road to repair broken lives. And is is at the moment in Galilee, and is repairing all wounded lives everywhere, and he's doing it for free. And the interesting thing is, unlike the BBC repair shop that you know repairs things that uh, uh, adjusts material things, he's repairing broken lives, people. And this morning we saw a man, didn't we? In fact, over the last three sermons, we've been looking at a man whose life had been shattered by supernatural forces, by demonic forces. And we've seen Jesus restore that man. We saw that this morning. He restores that man by driving the demons away and now he's completely restored. That's how we ended looking at Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. Jesus repairs broken lives. And we see that throughout Mark. This evening, Jesus is going to do it again. He's going to reach out to another broken life and he's going to repair our life. Now, the verse we are looking at this evening, actually, we start from verse 21, and uh, we are ending on verse 33, but we should really go on, and we'll go on next week to look at up to the end of chapter 5, aren't we, as we work through this verse by verse. The reason I mention that is an obvious thing, as you know, but I mention it because what we are looking at this evening is called a macan sandwich. <laughs> now... That's, that's the phrase, the Mac and Sandwich. What do I mean by that? Well, the Mac and Sandwich is basically saying that Mac, Mac likes stories that are sandwiched. And I could ask you a quiz question. When was the last time we came across a story in Mac that was sandwiched? I won't ask if you, if you know the answer, you can shout it out. But he likes stories that are sandwiched. This is the second story we are looking at, whereby one story starts... And then it is interrupted by another story, sometimes even two stories, so that in effect, and then the, it comes back to the story, so that in effect, the story that is like a ban in a sandwich, right? Or, or bread, you know? It starts and then it ends. In effect, the story in the middle is quite important to understanding. The other stories. Um, uh, we have come across this already, and uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going I'm to encourage you to go back and read the first four, five, ch- the first four chapters to, to see if you can detect a mac and sandwich. This is a second sandwich, uh, a delicious sandwich that I must say we're going to test uh, this evening. And it starts in verse 21 and really ends in verse 43. It starts with Jairus's daughter being unwell, Jairus coming to Jesus and it ends in verse 43 when she's raised to life. But we are focusing on the story in the middle in verse 25 to verse 33 relating to this nameless woman. But the reason I say that is that we're not really going to understand what's going on really fully until the seventh in the morning when we get to understand why the sandwich, that sort of thing. But we are this evening testing this middle of the sandwich, as it were, and there are three crucial lessons I want us to see here that the Lord wants to teach us about his mission to heal our brokenness. So look with me at verse 21 there, and the first observation I would make from this passage is simple, life is hopelessly broken, life is hopelessly broken. Now, we saw this morning that Jesus has just been rejected in the land of the garrisons, right? And he's now heading to, uh, he, that was a gentile territory in the east. Now he's got in the boat, he's heading west again. He loves being on the Sea of Galilee. And he's probably headed to the towns of Capernaum, where he's based, or Magdala, uh, next to that. And as soon as he arrives, uh, he gets in the boat, as soon as he arrives, a crowd gathers. Let's read verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So the crowd is there, and we imagine Jesus is doing what he does best, right? He's teaching. He's beside the sea, and he's probably teaching. And why is there, is interrupted by a visitor who wants Jesus to heal his daughter. The visitor is Jairus. Let's read verse 22 to verse 23. Then then came, as he was there, one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death, she is about to die. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus being, so Jairus has come, he wants help, and Jesus being Jesus immediately agrees and heads to the house. Let's read on verse 24. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. We've seen this already. Jesus has become like the biggest star in Galilee, the biggest star in the world at this time. And wherever he is, people are following him. And we can imagine now as he's going to Jairus' house, walking through those narrow, um, as it were, streets, ancient streets, the moon, everyone is just glimmering, trying to you know, be next to him. And they really want to see the miracle he's going to perform at Jairus' house. They're excited. And Mark, uh, if you like, our BBC Galilee correspondent Mark, has landed us on the scene here. He is giving us, just imagine this if it's today, he's giving us an aerial view of Jesus. Jesus is there. He's walking to Jairus' house. Uh, we don't know how far Jairus' house is from the sea, but they are going there. And he's probably giving us a good area view. Just imagine this. We are looking at this crowd and Jesus in the middle. And then Mark just zooms in on one person for a second. He zooms in his camera on a very small woman on the edge of the crowd. She's on the edge of the crowd. She's looking very frail. And we're already asking, who is this woman as we see this? And uh, why is she here in the crowd? Well, let's read verse 25. How Mark puts it. And there was a woman there. Verse 24 actually says, and he went with him, and the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. I just want to pause there and for us to take this in. There is a woman here. This woman uh, has had this discharge for 12 years. Now, the original language Mike is using here is making it clear that the woman's problem here is menstrual bleeding. And it may possibly actually be cervical cancer. She is suffering from this, and she has been in this chronic pain for 12 years. We might say this woman is literally dying from this perpetual menstrual problem that she has. But the thing you notice here is that the suffering is actually getting worse. And notice what is causing this suffering to get worse. It is the poor medical care she has been receiving. Read verse 25. Let's read verse twenty-four and 25 and 26. And there was a woman, that's verse 25, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, verse 26, and who had suffered much and many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Now, this past week, I was really shocked to read a report of a woman in the USA who had become pregnant. I mentioned this uh, to uh, to one of the Bible studies, I think, who had become pregnant while she was in a vegetative state in a care facility. Uh, The staff on duty only found out that she was pregnant when she went into labor. Uh, It's all over the internet, you can see that. And they were calling the, 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 the 999 for help so that they didn't realize. And of course, we, the question raises many questions, doesn't it? What, what's going on there? How can this happen? And of course, the police thinks she must have been assaulted while she was uh, in care. When you think about cases like that, a woman in a vegetative state, all of a sudden being pregnant somehow, where is the medical care? Where is the attention? I mean, that's the questions we ask, isn't it? Uh, the Hippocratic Oath: uh, Doctors are meant to take care, not to do any harm. So when we think of cases like that, it feels as we anger because we expect medical care staff to look after patients and not make things worse. But sadly, it does happen. Not just in the US; we know in this country as well, isn't it? The NHS bill is about one billion pounds just going to cover negligence cases related to medical care. So the people who are doctors don't always do what they are supposed to do. And in Jesus' day, it was even worse. Do you know one suggested medical cure for bleeding that this woman has is to fish an oak, an oak grain out of cattle dang and force the patient to swallow it? Terrible, is it? It is terrible. So not only has this woman uh, been unwell, she's suffering from the care she's getting. Very poor, ancient care. And she's suffering at the hands of doctors. And notice she's now broke. It is not just the medical bills that have made her broke. It is that she has been living by herself. And the reason she has been living by herself is that her family can't look after her. The reason her family can't look after her is because she's religiously and socially unclean. Now, it is difficult for us to imagine what it means to be unclean. We've come across cases of unclean, the leper and others. It is difficult to imagine when we find this term in the Bible, unclean, isn't it? When we come across it, it's just a concept. But I just want you to think that being unclean at this time is a bit like today you having a very bad criminal record. Think of the worst criminal record you can have. And it's there on your file. You go for work, sorry we can't have you. You apply for a home in a certain area they have to put up an exclusion zone. You can't leave to certain people. It is what it meant to be, means to be unclean at this time. You can't Function, you can't get a job. Family don't want you. You are unclean, and this woman is unclean because the Old Testament laws place strict backgrounds around a woman who is on a period. There are things that a woman on a period can't do, and if she's on perpetually for twelve years, non-stop, so to speak, uh, in this sort of situation, it's even worse. You see. The, far, the Bible, the, the Pharisees, on top of those things, had put more regulation. On top of what the Bible says in Leviticus, had put more regulation. Now, we can go into why the Bible put those regulations around periods and so forth. It's to do with blood, and blood in the Scripture is sacred. Uh, you can talk to me about it. You can ask me about it afterwards, but... The important thing is that on top of the Old Testament, the Pharisees had come up with their own oral laws and regulations, right? So, for example, a woman, this woman, cannot touch other people because of her condition. Just like that. She's not allowed to touch other people. She cannot touch furniture if she comes in the fellowship here because other people can't sit on it. So she's not allowed to touch any furniture that other people sit on. She cannot share food with anyone In fact, if she walks in the room, and water must be covered, if she walks in the room, because if the water is left open, then it becomes unclean. She is excluded from all temple and synagogue gatherings. And if this condition started uh, before she was married, she has not got married. If it started during our marriage. She's most likely divorced. She's unclean. Marriage can't function, period. This woman lives in a state of perpetual poverty, isolation, and suffering beyond our imagination. And as she's now walking through this crowd, she shouldn't even be there. Just her being there, she's making everyone unclean in the crowd. And as we see her on the crowd, I just want you to imagine, as this woman is walking in this crowd, I want you to imagine a severely anemic, exhausted, desperate, lonely, and very fearful woman. She is completely broken. And yet, as broken as her life looks, it feels so alien to us. But when you look at her, we realize actually that there is something of our brokenness in all of us, in this woman. Because all of us here, regardless of what situation we are in, we know what it means to be sick. We have experienced sickness. All of us here knows what it means, some of us do, (laughs) what it feels like getting poor medical care. You're probably in the hospital and you never got what you expected and you're not very happy about it. We all know what it feels like to be rejected by people. This woman is suffering rejection. And all of us, in some sense, have been in situations where people have rejected us. Now, many of us know what it means to be broke. (laughs) At least if we can't remember it, we remember when we were students, weren't we? (laughs) We were broke once. Right? And some of us here know... What it means to long for things, something desperate you're looking for. She wants help, but all of us have things that we desperately long for, that we, know, what we want and we can't have. All of us here know something of fear and anxiety in life, which she's experiencing. So when we look at this woman, yes, she feels so alien from us, but actually we share in our broken life. But Here's another thing. We share in something else as well. We turn to things to heal our brokenness that actually make our lives worse. This woman is turning to doctors and other things, and they've made it worse. She has looked far and wide for saviors to our brokenness, and they have made things worse. And as you think about that, isn't this sort of brokenness, and misery that she's experiencing common to us? As I look around our fellowship, I see many of us are trying to deal with the brokenness in our lives in many ways. Some of us are broken in our lives and we are turning to TV to numb the pain of brokenness. Some people turn to gardening. If I only can garden and garden and garden and garden and they make my life go- We are escaping our broken lives through gardening. Other of this work, 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 work. Others is Facebook, isn't it? Just Facebook or Instagram, social media. Others, they bury themselves in books. Their life is broken, but how can they escape? Well, just bury yourself in a good novel, good Puritan reading, or something like that, something deep. And of course, some people turn to pornography to escape brokenness, or alcohol, anything to numb the pain... Others isolate themselves. That is one of the most painful things I find in the life of the church here. When people are going through pain, actually they withdraw from that. You don't see them for a while. They are trying to cope with pain in that way. Others descend into bitterness and self-pity. There's no joy about them. Other people turn to good causes. They feel if they do more things for others, perhaps life will smile for them. They hope life will appreciate them back. There are many ways people cope with brokenness in our lives. But, friends, in the end, as we are seeing with this woman, this is our story. Those physicians we turn to cannot heal us. The Bible is saying there's only one who can heal us, and we'll meet him in a moment. These things we look for in life to satisfy us, to make us, as we said this morning, truly human again, to bring fulfillment in our lives, only bring emptiness. But the good news of this passage is that though life is broken, there is someone with loving power to heal our broken lives. And his name is Jesus. And thank God this woman knows about him. Let's rejoin Mark. The second point I just want us to see is that Jesus has power to heal our lives. Point number one, life is hopelessly broken. But the good news is that Jesus has power to heal our lives, to heal our brokenness. Let's rejoin Mark. Notice here that Mark is making... Notice here again that the the woman is making her way forward uh, to Jesus. She's going to see Jesus because she believes... If she can just touch him, if she can just touch his garment, she will be healed. Let's read verse 27 to verse 28. We are told she had read the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Immediately there's a problem here. It's not obvious to us living here in Bexley at this, today on the 20th of January, 2019. But there's a problem here. Because you see, in this couches she's living in, in Judaism, there are strict boundaries again between men and women. Women rarely look at men. We need to get that. In fact, they can't even talk to men who are outside their family structure. So, for a woman to even contemplate touching a man she is not married to, it is a complete no-no. This should not even be crossing her mind. But this woman has heard something wonderful about Jesus, of his amazing power, and she realizes it is greater than all the physicians. And so, this woman is determined. She's willing to risk the shame. She's willing to risk the ridicule because she knows that Jesus has the power to heal her. And he does. Look at verse 29. She touches him. Verse 29 says, and she touches the, the garment. She somehow manages to get into the crowd. And immediately, verse 21 tells us, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of our disease. Just like that, with a touch, the sea of our suffering pass. All those weary years of grief come to an end. This is the extraordinary power of Jesus. As I thought about this, I cannot even imagine what sort of power is this. The power that even a touch of Jesus' garment brings me instant healing. Jesus' power here, friends, notice, is not just limitless. It is a loving power that runs after nobody's. The worst scam. It reaches deep into the darkness of our brokenness. It is available for Jairus' his daughter who will see the well-off man, Jairus, I guess, is well known, and it's available to this broken person. It was available in the garrisons to that man who didn't even want Jesus. The power reaches far and wide. It heals our brokenness, and the amazing thing is that Jesus offers this power for free. We can't, we shouldn't miss that. She was dead broke. She has spent everything she had, but here is grace. Full and free for her. No queues. No prior appointments. No waiting lists. The power of Jesus is available to us. Here and now. Beloved, are you trusting in Jesus this evening? Well, if you are, let me ask you this. Do you believe in this extraordinary power of Jesus? The loving power of Jesus. You need to think about that. Because believing in such power changes how we live, changes the way we approach things. Here is a Savior who is greater than any. And as I asked myself that question do I believe in this extraordinary power of Jesus? I said, if I'm honest, there are times when I doubt the power of Jesus. Because you see, we can know the power of Jesus intellectually, we can hear it in sermons, but do we believe it in our hearts? We can know the power of Jesus is available for Jairus, it daughter is available for this woman, but do I believe the power of Jesus is available to, for me? Do I believe this power of Jesus reaches out to me? Does it extend to my situation? Now, I know it it was probably available last week, but is it available to me now? Mark is writing this, beloved, to remind us that if you are in Jesus, this power is available for you now. And you can be confident, friends, because if Jesus is powerful for this woman who barely knows his name, what more, friends, what more you who has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb? What more you who knows Jesus intimately? It is available for you too. And I, and I think maybe right now for some of us, we should just stop there. We really come before Jesus now. Closing our eyes before him. Telling Jesus to help us believe in his power. To believe that this power is not just available for others, but it's available for us in him. Now I know we are all have many broken situations, including the issues of physical healing. And now, sometimes Jesus, for his own providence withholds, Physical healing. Because he's working on something else. Sometimes his power, he decides to deploy it in different way in our broken situations. Because he has something better in mind. He keeps us broken for a while to build us up so that he could work in other hands. But beloved, do not doubt his power. It is available for you. And what this tells me is not to me to debate about is his power to work in this issue... What he tells me is to bring my broken situation to him. Whatever situation I have that is healing, I must believe I have faith like this woman to touch and ask Jesus to work in it. Do not be content that this situation has always been like that and Jesus cannot act. It has gone on for 12 years. But Jesus is still acted. And he's still acting today. So bring it to him. Because he has power. To act. We see a point number one, isn't it? Life is hopelessly broken. Point number one. But Jesus' has power to heal our lives and heal the lives of our those we love in our lives. Come to Him. He has power. Here's the final point, and this is the main truth really Mark wants us to see. Why is Jesus healing this woman? Because Jesus is offering everlasting healing. Jesus offers everlasting healing. This is our final point. Let's go back to the woman there. The woman is healed. (coughs) Notice in verse 29. Immediately Jesus (coughs) senses power has gone out from him. And we can imagine Jesus stops now. He's been walking with the crowd and he's now stopped. Because he senses power has gone out from him. Let's read verse 30 there. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about, immediately turning about in the crowd. He stopped and said, Who touched my garments? And I think at this point, we imagine everyone is confused there. What are you talking about? What is Jesus doing now? Remember now, Jairus' heart is beating. Jesus is on his way with Jairus, but who's at the point of death? And Jesus now is asking, "Of what's going on?" We should keep walking, but he's stopping. Jesus is asking, "What's?" who's touched him, and people are puzzled. I'm sure. The disciples never to be outdone, as always, <laughs> they, have, they have their own view of the situation, and they bled out a frustration. Look at verse 31, they are just as frustrated as the crowd would imagine, and these disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, <laughs> and yet you say, who touched me? Another quiz point, this is the third time in the gospel of Mark, they have been rude to Jesus. And I'll leave you to again to read through, to, to work out the other two that have been rude. One is more recent. But they are rude to Jesus again. And we can have a whole sermon about that. But Jesus is loving, is, is, is compassionate, he loves them, and he just, at this moment, just ignores them, so to speak. He's focused on this woman. He doesn't want to be distracted about this person who's touched him. So we read this in verse 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. I just want to point out here, it's not obvious in your versions, is that the phrase there, looked around, literally means, he kept on looking. This is not just like, this is persistent. This is, he's searching through the crowd, so to speak, to see who has done. it. Jesus is doggedly, we might say, seeking to find the woman through the crowd. Why is he doing this? Well, because Jesus is not Father Christmas. <laughs> That's the simple answer. Jesus is not Father Christmas who is just going around giving, dishing out gifts. No, friends, Jesus is not satisfied with people simply receiving physical healing. Jesus has come to give himself to us. He wants this woman not just to have her needs met, but to have an ongoing relationship with God. Ongoing relationship with Jesus. This is why Jesus is searching to see this woman. The woman is hiding. Why is she hiding? Because she fears she has made Jesus unclean. She's not supposed to be here. And she's been healed and yeah, I just want to go. Now, I have a point here for why the application and and we don't don't have time to explore it. But many of us are like that, aren't we? We we like this private thing with Jesus. And we just, you know, Jesus is okay with my heart. Okay, I'm praying at home. Okay, I'm fine. Uh, I have my own relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's what the woman is doing. She has that, her needs met, and she doesn't want to go beyond prayer, if, I still, if you see what I mean. But Jesus knows that she needs more than that. This woman, she's fearing because she thinks she's made Jesus unclean. She's thinking, I've violated so many boundaries. Jesus is a famous teacher, I am a poor and destitute woman. Jesus is a righteous man. I am an unclean woman. I cannot show my face here. I am fearing Jesus. She fears Jesus. At this point, we realize that there's a deeper reason she's hiding. And the truth of the matter is that she thinks Jesus is like everyone else in her life. Jesus has healed her, he's got power. But she does not realize Jesus is our loving God. She's hiding because she doesn't know really who Jesus is. She doesn't know this is God with so much love for her. And our loving Savior, full of compassion and patience, is busy searching for her in the crowd. I just love that. What a great picture of Jesus. What a great picture of what Jesus has done for me. If you trust in him, that's what Jesus has done for you. He's come, search through the crowds to seek you out, to bring you into that relationship with Him. Oh friends, if you are a true follower of Jesus, be with wonder. This God who, has, who searches for sinners in the mirey bog of sin, He comes to bring us to Himself. He's not content with simply blessing you from afar, giving you the air you breathe, loving parents, or other things He gives us. He wants a relationship with us. Jesus has saved us out in him, in Christ. And he, he is calling us home. And so he searched for this woman, and we don't know how long this is going for, but eventually the woman steps forward, and she steps forward with fear and trembling. As Soren Kierkegaard would put it, with fear and trembling. Look at verse 33. But the woman... In verse 2, and he looked around to see what had done it. And verse 33 But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She had been expecting the worst, but to her surprise, Jesus has listened to her story. With amazing tenderness. How do I know? Because verse 33 tells us. And told him the whole truth. Jesus is a God who listens. You know, I've been, when I've been praying, I've been thinking about this quite a lot actually. You know, I just go before God and start praying. And God is just there listening. God listens to me all the time. And actually, I struggle just to listen to his word. That I think about that, and, and I repent before God at that. Because I realize that Jesus is a God who listens. Every time we pray to him, he's just there listening, taking it all in. And we see it again here, he's just listening. We worship a God who listens. And actually, one takeaway we should take from this is that if we're growing to become more like Jesus, we should be praying that we grow in listening to him and to others. So Jesus has listened. And now he says to her this. Look at this 34, what he says to her. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We can explore this a lot, but I just want to say we should be puzzled at this. Because the woman has already been healed. So why is Jesus now saying, be healed of your disease again? Okay. Why is Jesus saying, your faith has made you well, go in peace? In fact, literal translation is, go into peace. Or enter into peace. Okay? Why is Jesus doing this? The reason he's doing this is the reason, is we, we understand why he's doing this by the title he uses for her. He says, daughter, daughter. This woman who was the worst scum, so to speak. This woman who could not enter the place of worship is now a daughter in the kingdom of God. You know, when Jairus comes to Jesus initially at the beginning, he says, my little daughter. And almost like Jesus, my little daughter is unwell. And it's almost like Jesus borrows that title from Jairus. And he says, the way Jairus thinks about his daughter is the way Jesus is thinking about his new daughter. Jesus is saying he has, what he's done physically for her, he has now done for her spiritually. He has restored her. He has healed her spiritually. She's now his daughter in Christ. And as we think about this, we realize the entire healing event is a picture of the spiritual healing that Jesus is actually coming to perform for us. That he has done for us on the cross, in his death and his resurrection. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 to 25 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's 1 Peter 2 24 25. By his wounds you have been healed for you are straying like a sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter there tells us that If we are trusting in Jesus, Jesus on the cross healed the spiritual sickness of sin and has given us a new joyous relationship with God. And we receive this eternal healing from sin the moment we are born again. We enter into the peace that Jesus speaks of here to this woman. We receive that joy, that shalom. We have that wonderful new relationship with God. And of course, the full mark Experience of this is in the new heavens and the new earth, where we are headed. Beloved, I don't know what situation you're in this evening. Uh, Maybe you are recovering from some chronic pain or you're experiencing chronic pain or mental suffering of some sort in your life. Perhaps your body and your mind are just wasting away as the years pass. And being in a situation like that can make us feel lonely. It can leave us constantly worried and we may wonder what tomorrow brings. It is even hard for the people we love around us to cope with our situation. But beloved, look at what Jesus says to this woman, this new spiritual healing he brings. And, And if you are in Jesus, you know that your physical or mental challenges are the outward things inward. You have never been more healthy as we said this morning. Because Jesus has healed you spiritually. You are more health now than you've ever been. That's a fact if you're in Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus as we were learning through our Bible studies Thursday and Friday, the resurrection of Jesus is now your guarantee that you will inherit a new body and mind in the world to come. In the new heavens and the new earth. From here on in, things only get better as we were reminded of this morning. Because we are on the upward line, not the downward line. And because you are in Jesus, friends, this resurrection power of Jesus is not something we are only waiting for. It is available to us now. The everlasting healing is available to you now already. And the power that comes with that is available. Are you struggling with some broken area of your life? Is there a situation this evening that has left you powerless and helpless? Is there an area that you desperately need help? I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you have moments in your life when you struggle to rise above your low feelings. And you often feel helpless. Or maybe it's a relationship that is getting out of hand. Uh, Or maybe you're trying to just make it better and better and better. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And you feel helpless about it. I don't know what it is. Or maybe it's some longing or issue that you're longing for. I don't know what it is. Well, if you have truly surrendered to Jesus, do not despair. Come to Jesus now. He is still loving. He is still powerful. And he is here for you. And how should you go to him this evening? Go like this nameless woman. You don't need to have a huge faith. This woman has weak faith. I think the weakest one I've seen in the scripture, to be honest. But it is in who she has faith in. If you remember anything, it is not the size of your faith, it is the object of your faith. She's trusting in Jesus. It is to Him. It is not the size of your faith. It is the size of your Savior. And so come to Jesus. If you know Jesus, go boldly and confident. And I love what this scripture says, isn't it? She told Him the whole truth. Why don't you do that? Go to Jesus. Tell Him the whole truth. Tell Him what I tell Him. Tell Him, nothing in my hand I bring only to the cross I claim. Tell him, Lord, I am a mess. But you are, I'm your mess. That's what I tell him. I am in a mess. I am your, I'm a mess. Uh, but I am your mess. Because I belong to you. So please, heal my broken situation. Your Savior is loving. He knows your heart. He knows you belong to him. And he delights to use his limitless power for His glory, and for your good. So let us bring all broken issues in our lives before Him. And let us trust Jesus to act in accordance with His loving will for us. Amen.